Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. I'm Danny V, and today I'm super excited to welcome Sandy Barker. This interview has been a long time in the making. Sandy's author of one more chapter, That Night in Paris, A Sunset in Sydney, The Dating Game, and the book we'll talk about today, A Sunrise Over Bali. Wouldn't it be nice to be doing this interview in Bali today? Welcome, Sandy. Oh, Oh, it's so great to be here thank you so much for having me no it's lovely I know we've talked about this interview for a long time and then um you know we talked about when you did authors for mental health which we'll talk about a little bit in the interview as well and um so it's been a long time coming and I know this book's been on my shelf for a while so it's good to actually uh be able to talk about it now so we're going to talk about um you know, this book and sort of the romance comedy genre as a whole as well, because I'm really interested in that genre and, and it's very passionate fans. But before we start, can you give me an eleva- elevator pitch um, to what A Sunrise Over Bali is about? Yeah, well, it's actually, I think of, of the whole series. So there's five books in the series now. And I think of the whole series, it's probably the most standalone book. So you could kind of pick it up and just go with that and not know too much about the series. But it's essentially, I, I took one of my supporting characters from a previous book, probably my most prickly, kind of hard to relate to character. Everyone was a little bit, really, are you going to write a whole book about her? And I, I sent her off to Bali. And I was inspired to do that because my partner and I lived in Bali for a couple of months while we were on sabbatical in 2018. And we lived in a co-living space. And I thought, oh, this is a great setting for a story. So who can I send there? And I sent Jay Lee from That Night in Paris. I sent her off to Bali. She is, you know, she's kind of a VP at a big PR company. She's very much exactly who you're imagining now. And she lives in Miami. Like, she's that girl. And we took her and put her in this fish out of water story where she just kind of was, you know, down the Google rabbit hole one night and she's, you know, off the back of the big heartbreak and she's, I'm going to take myself off to the other side of the world. So she goes to this co-living space. And, yeah, it's just about kind of her her journey, her inner journey, her outer journey. Um, you know, there's a little bit of the eat, pray, love, but it's much more, um, I mean, she even mentions it in kind of like chapter one. She's like, which part was Bali again? Was that the eating part? And and someone says it's the praying part. She goes, oh, no. Or no, it's the love part. Oh, that's right. She goes, the love part. And she goes, oh, no, I want to run away from love. So it's just really about the people she meets. And, of course, I write romantic comedies, so there is a love interest. Um, but, yeah, she, it's, it was a lot of fun to write, actually. It was mm. a little bit of... It was my love letter to our our time in Bali and the people that we met in Bali. So Mm. that's kind of it in a nutshell. And going back to the prickly character, I mean, I imagine they're the most fun and interesting characters to write because there's always a reason for that prickliness. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, as I said, even my agent was like, really, you're going to give her a whole book? Um, but I even like, I think it's on like page one of the book where she talks about kind of how she was raised to be your, you know, be an independent person, always make your own money, educate yourself, just rely on yourself only. And, and she says it's heady stuff for a seven-year-old, you know, like that's how she was raised by her mom. Um, so she's always kind of just done her own thing, super independent woman. And that whole idea of her letting somebody in, you know, new friends, um, a love interest, that's a big deep learning curve for her and so she was so fun to write so fun to write very very resistant to um the people around her very judgy of the people around her but this transformation of hey you know what it's okay to be vulnerable it's Mm. okay to ask for help it's okay to um step away from everything that I thought I wanted I was brought up to want you know the really high um powerful high paying job and you know accumulating stuff essentially Mm. so she kind of I think she of all the characters I've ever written she goes through the steepest kind of um, learning curve yeah yeah yeah. and this character journey is probably the most transformation I've ever written so very meaty but I also think it's it's quite relatable, particularly I think for a, a woman in society. I mean, I think when you go into the workforce, there's this expectation that as a woman you will not show your vulnerability. You'll be stoic, like you know you've seen male bosses be, because you kind of have to almost prove that you're worthy to be there, particularly in leadership capacity. And so, you know, I, I actually went through my, you know, early life as a, when I first got into sort of management, and I sort of thought I had to be that way as well you know, put aside your vulnerability, et cetera. So I feel like her character is is really relatable. And it's only when you start to get a bit older where you see start to see vulnerability as a strength. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you tapped into that too because, um, you know, I was, I was taking a bit of a risk in writing. She's an Asian-American character. Um, I'm not an Asian-American woman. And so, I, you know, I did do that sensitivity read with um, somebody close to me who is an Asian-Australian woman. But there's a line in there where she says, you know, somebody's questioning kind of why did you react that way? Why were you so prickly and so kind of just harsh in this moment? And she's got an answer ready because she's quite self-aware around. She says, I've, I've had a lifetime of being in a profession where I'm constantly underestimated. So she's, she says, I'm an intelligent, attractive Asian woman in a high-powered job. Um, there, that's kind of all of the strikes against me of why somebody might underestimate me. And I've, I always am having to assert myself. Mm. And I really liked diving into that you know, the expectation of who you are when you walk in the room. Because, I mean, I have a whole other professional life. So I've worked in education for um, nearly 30 years now. And there's been times when I've walked in the room and just the fact that my name is Sandy, you know, like Sandy is not, (laughs) for some people, it's just not a professional name. And so it's like, oh, you're walking in the room. Oh, no, no. Oh, she doesn't know her stuff. Oh, okay. And and so I, re- I really did want to kind of tap into that whole um, kind of just exploring that, that idea of sometimes, yeah, women in in a professional 
environment don't often um, get the recognition that they deserve. They have to kind of work harder to get the same kind of seat at the table. So, yeah, I did kind of explore that a little mm. bit. So thanks for calling that out. Yeah, no, it's something um, that really resonated with yeah. me too because I remember even coming back from maternity leave and working part-time and going back into my leadership position and it felt like such a fight to prove that you were worthy there three days a week out of the five, Mm -hmm. you know, there was sort Mm -hmm. of, you felt the perception of, oh, she's only part-time. And so it was like every day Mm -hmm. was a fight to kind of matter. And so when I, when I see this, like, it's so relatable. I think it's relatable for most women who have been in the workforce, who have had leadership, you know, experience and, and who are trying to always prove yourself worth. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. It is exhausting. And that's why I, I, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who might read the book, but there's a a moment where she kind of realises that she had been brought up to be this, you know, like very, very ambitious. Um, But what actually matters to her is the work. And I think that, uh, I think a lot of professionals, male, female, um, any gender, are anyone who's worked their way up in a profession, I started in education, the further you get up the chain, the, the further away you get from the core work of what you might love. Um, so, you know, I was in leadership positions in a school, but I wanted to be in the classroom. And I, and I think that's what she has this realisation of. She's in PR. She loves doing PR. But the further up she gets in the food chain, she's, the less she, PR she's actually doing, she's doing, you know, budgets and managing and all of that kind of stuff. So... Mm. Um, And I think that, you know, that's actually quite topical for this transformation of the workforce that's happened just from, you know, the the necessity of the, you know, um, a a byproduct of the pandemic is people are just kind of going, I kind of want to get back to what I I love doing. Um, So, yeah, um, maybe it is more topical. Drawing drawing these things out? I mean, it's a rom-com and we're getting all these things. Yeah, don't ask me to read your book, Sandy, because I'm going to take it in a whole new direction. No, I love it. I love it. Right. And I was also thinking, yeah, sorry, I was also thinking that, you know, we try so hard to live our best lives and almost think it's such a throwaway line now. Oh, living your best life. Like, you know, I feel like it's almost a throwaway line because we need to work and we need to do all these things to, you know, sustain ourselves and survive. And I was thinking, why do, you know, what are the reasons, and I think about this with crime, the crime genre as well, but what are the reasons that, you know, romantic comedies or romance novels really resonate with their audiences? And I almost think, particularly with this character, it's we want to be that brave. I mean, it's not such a giveaway because on the back it says, you know, she sort of decides to stay in Bali for longer than she thought she would Mm. and, um, you know, quit her job. And so it's like we kind of wish that we could do these things and wish that we could be brave to actually, you know, follow through with that tagline, live our best lives. But, I mean, all of us, including myself, are bound by needing to earn money to feed your children. (laughs) And so we can't always do that. And so I think there's this really nice escapism in these type of books where you go, yeah, like if, you know, if I could live this whatever life I would live, you know, and and you sort of root for that character to go, yeah, you know, risk everything, do it. And it's a nice escapism, I think. I think it is an escapism. And, you know, I have to say when I wrote the, it's early in the book when she does you know, quit her job. She ends up, you know, arriving in Bali and gets a phone call. We need you back right away. 
and then quit. I was surprised. I was like, oh my God, she just quit her job. And I think a lot of authors experience this where they're like, my character just did this thing and there's a little bit off piece and I, I, I hadn't planned for her to do that. But um, you, you're right, it is actually quite, um, it's a vicarious way of kind of living because eventually I would like to get to the point where I go, okay, um, it's been nice working in the field of um, adult learning, but I'm, I'm calling it good. I'm going to um, <laughs> step off the precipice and, <laughs> and take on full-time writing and, and all of that that encompasses. So, yeah, there is that kind of bravery. And, you know, it, the, even the fact that in 2018 we quit our jobs, we both had full-time jobs, we you know, lived a very, very good life. Um, in Melbourne, we put some things in storage, we sold up a lot of stuff and we left for 14 months. We just went and lived in countries. We did a bit of contract work here and there. I wrote books and that was a very terrifying thing for somebody who'd been in education, which is such a stable career mm. to go, okay, I'm in my late 40s. Let's just give it all up and hope that there's something to come back to so I wanted to um, kind of explore that and as I said it's a little bit of an homage to that time in my life um, but yeah I think there is some escapism in in that and and I think in all romantic comedies we just kind of it's it's fun you know and and we've had and I write of course travel romance travel romantic comedies so there was an upsurge in, in the readership for travel fiction um, over, over the last few years for obvious reasons. And when, even when I was writing Bali, I was in lockdown. Mm -hmm. So it was my mental escape is just kind of reminiscing and going back to photographs and, oh, yes, that beautiful time when we did this thing. And it was, yeah, it was very aspirational for me <laughs> Travel. I want to travel. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think in a lot of ways for for writers and also for for readers, it's just it is escapism. It is a nice escapism and that vicarious kind of nudge. But I've also had readers come back to me. I love to hear from readers, and I in my first book in the series, um, One Summer in Santorini. She um, takes herself on holiday. She's, you know, it's, it's very typical rom-com. She's had a bad breakup. She takes herself up on holiday. But what she realizes is she, you know, she's got this longing for this bigger life. But what she realizes is she has this wonderful life, but she's kind of in her own head mm. and, you know, up her own bum, really. She just <laughs> kind of needs to just go, hey, appreciate um, make changes you know I all my friends are married and have kids and I don't see them well go over to their house on a Tuesday <laughs> night and do bath time and then have a glass of wine with mum and dad afterwards you know like she has this kind of epiphany that what a wonderful life I actually have access to I'm just not living it mm. and I had people contact me and say oh my you know like I was in tears reading these passages and yes it just really, really spoke to me. So mm. I think that there is, there is an opportunity, um, you know, even in romantic fiction for us to kind of tap into the, the humanness in us all. There's this, this kind of, we just want to um, 
you know, we do want to live our best lives, but for all of us, that means something completely different. And it's just kind of taking that moment to go, what's it for me? And that character did that and that resonated with a lot of readers. So I feel very, um, I feel very fortunate that I get to do this and that sometimes people just go for a fun ride and (laughs) say, I go to travel to Tuscany or Paris or whatever. Um, and sometimes people go, oh, my gosh, I took a lot away from that. It actually kick-started yeah. my, um, my impetus to, you know, it was my impetus to just go, hey, I've got control over some things mm. and I need to make some changes. So, mm. yeah, it's interesting how it can be all of those things. Yeah, I think so too. And when you said, you know, when you're in your late 40s, you're like, that's it, let's do this thing, I feel like when you sort of get to that um age there's a certain age where you get to you and go okay you know the first half of my life I did all of this do I want the second half of my life to look the same or different so I think it's a real pivotal moment yeah absolutely and I have to I give a lot of credit to the whole idea of the sabbatical I give a lot of credit to my partner Ben um he's 10 years younger than me and so you know he had worked at the same company for like you know since he'd graduated from college, he's American, so he said college. Um, and he was like, I, I don't. I don't want to do what my grandfather did, you know, where it's like you work for 40 years for the same company, they give you a gold watch and a retirement. Yeah. That's not, that's not what he wanted out of life. We've always talked about since we met having this kind of location agnostic life and lifestyle. And what's been phenomenal to watch just in the last couple of years is that ways of working, even the professional world, yeah. has completely evolved, you know, like people can work remotely. Oh, look, you know, everything that we thought about the workplace um, for a lot of professions is completely, was mm-hmm. completely wrong. That's you know, right. unless you're, you know, a surgeon, you actually have to physically be there, to, you know, and teachers it's probably better that they're in the classroom but <laughs> and i just hope we don't do back. From anywhere. yeah and what i'm yeah. afraid of is because we can do it and you know it's it's so many things it's better for your mental health you get to spend more time mm-hmm. with your family it's less travel time mm-hmm. it's less traffic it's less petrol i mean i hate to talk about mm-hmm. petrol prices but you know and so <laughs> i really hope we don't snap back to that oh no you need to be in the office five days a week because i feel like your quality of life and the input you put into work is so much more when you are able to work from home, um, you know, for some Absolutely. or all of the week. It's a massive Absolutely. lifestyle difference, huge, huge. It, it's huge. It's huge. And it really does open the door for what we want in the next, you know, three to five years, which is we can kind of live anywhere and do what we do. Um, I mean, I could still do my job from, you know, anywhere kind of in the in Australasian region. So. Yeah, I, that's been, it's, it's really kind of, yeah, it's been really interesting that shift. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, we've talked about, you know, writing for escapism and travel and romance and fun, but there must be challenges to writing this genre. What are the challenges? Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting that um, to kind of think about that. And I, I, I actually pitched a piece to Writing Magazine, which is a magazine that comes out of the UK. And I said, I'd like to pitch a piece about writing contemporary romance that's um, fresh. How do you how do you fit into this genre where we know that it's not romance unless there is a happily ever after or a happy for now and keep it fresh? And so I said, I'm thinking this, 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 and this, and they went, no, 
okay, write it and, and we'll see. And I, it was really fun actually because I was starting to think about the permutations that make a, you know, one romantic book different from others. And it's like, okay, what are the tropes you're going to play with, and what are your characters like, and what are their motivations, and what's your setting, and 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 really, you know, in I belong to the Romance Novelists Association in the UK. I belong to Romance Writers Australia. And we are constantly talking about the fact that the, the genre itself is, for a start, it's the biggest selling genre. Mm. And, you know, so there's 40% of books sold are in the romance genre. Um, but it is still considered <laughs> kind of a lesser cousin to our more literary genres. Um, but the fact is, it is really tricky and very, very difficult to create a different journey between meeting and falling in love and that happily ever after. So it's the, you know, it's the journey that, that mm -hmm. differs. You, you know where you're starting and you know where you're going to end up, but how do you get there? And what is your unique author voice? So I think that there is, there are challenges in the genre um, just from keeping it just in keeping it fresh. Yeah, that, you make a good point. Mm. And I hope that perceptions about particular genres are disappearing because I think, you know, all genres are valid. I mean, I think crime fiction sort of used to have that perception about it too, and that's definitely evolved and changing. And I think, you know, crime's into a whole different sphere. So, yeah, I, I sort of hate that whole judgy thing about genres and books <laughs> because I feel like, you know, they're all there for us when we want to read them and they're all valuable and all all relevant so it's really interesting now earlier in the year um you had an authors for mental health blog which you know i happily contributed to because yeah you know, i talked about you. my anxiety etc that lives with me on a daily yeah. basis uh, yeah. what was the driving force for that well i mean kate foster it was her her brainchild and um working with kate milton hall so they had this idea that um they wanted to promote mental health, um, good mental health. And I, she, Kate just kind of put a call out on Twitter and I was like, I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm happy to host on my blog because a lot of people who wanted to contribute don't actually have a platform to contribute. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed. So it became, we did an auction. We had 90 authors and also other creative artists um, contribute which was phenomenal um, and we raised money you know for Beyond Blue it was just incredible and mm. uh, we were so appreciated and um, people like you who have you know you have such a broad audience and um, just kind of stepping up you hosted us in the, on a blog um, on a, sorry on a podcast and then you blogged for us which was great so it was just around just raising awareness um, and I'm peripherally in my day job I'm a mental health first aider so I've had training in that and I do have mental health issues both sides of my family people have mental health issues and I I really do appreciate the normalization mm. and I think another thing that has come out of the pandemic is that we the conversation is much more prevalent and yeah. and it is this normalization of around talking about yeah. what mental health problems might be and and as you said on the positive it's like it's better for our mental health 
to have a better work-life balance mm, to have absolutely. more time with our yeah absolutely yeah and so it's, that was, was a just... topic close to my heart too because I, I think yeah. I suffered with anxiety for 20 years before I was able to talk about it because you know you feel mm-hmm. like it's a weakness and it's a vulnerability and you shouldn't be telling people and so I don't think in terms of mental health um, awareness can be underestimated you know because I, I feel like there was such a, a switch that was flicked from when I didn't talk about it to when I did and you feel a little bit more empowered about it you know so I'm Absolutely. very passionate about the awareness of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's very very important that people are considering that just as important as their physical health. Definitely. Um, you know, if you're feeling aches and pains, you go and get treatment and help. And you know, if you're feeling unwell, you don't go to work that day. Mm. But if you're feeling unmentally well, you might push through and mm. show up at work and just you know, like it's what you know. We joke about kind of the Aussie sickie, chuck a sickie. Um, and then we started to joke about I'm taking a mental health day. But now that is a balance. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. I actually can say to my manager, I'm taking a day today. I yep. need a mental health day. Yep. I'm not I'm not mentally well enough to be at work today. Yep. And, and how good do you feel when you acceptable. do? Just take that it's day. Great. Like it feels so good. It's so good. <laughs> now, Sandy, you should know this question's coming up. Um, I think you've probably heard it a number of times before. So here it is. Asked to you, why do you write? I love telling stories. <laughs> I absolutely love, love, love telling stories. And also, if I don't write, then they just live in my head and they all talk <laughs> with each other. And I have um, characters just, you know, living inside my brain um, <laughs> who are busy and they're doing things and they're com- talking over each other. Yeah, I, I write because I have stories to tell and I like exploring kind of the human condition. I, I, have, a, um, I have a quite a wicked sense of humor, so I like to explore that. And it's just, it's, for me, it's, very, I don't remember not being able to write. Like mm-hmm. obviously I learned like all children how to read and write. I don't remember not being able to read and not being able to write. I just kind of was so, I was just so passionate about those things, even as a small child. Um, and I've always, always written stories. And it's interesting now because I published my first book at 50 and it's, I have people who I've known all my life saying, well, you've always wanted to be a writer. I'm like, really? Did I used to talk about this as a child? <laughs> apparently I did. Wow, I love so, that. <laughs> yeah, apparently I did. Apparently, That's great. And, you know, my mum put me in ballet and the ballet teacher said she's terrible, don't bring her back. But my <laughs> my teachers were always about she writes great stories and I still have my little notebooks from, you know, primary school, my hobbies. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I why do I write I have to write I love it it is just it brings me a great joy um editing is a completely different thing (laughs) Uh, I edit because I have to but yeah yeah yeah, the stories are just in there and it's very very frustrating they do (laughs) it's very very frustrating and a lot of authors experience this when you're working on something and another idea is is yeah the shiny idea yeah and you feel like it's it's so much better than the one that I'm writing oh gosh oh that's a that's a real you listen to that little voice it's a good problem to it is but if you kept listening to it you'd never finish anything right you'd be in this loop of finishing nothing (laughs) exactly exactly and I know that I'm in the flow when my characters are doing stuff in my head they're talking Mm -hmm. and moving and doing all these things and I'm just writing down what they're doing 
Yeah. And I can go away for a couple of hours and come back and go, oh, I just wrote a chapter. <laughs> How did you just write a chapter? I'm like, In my well, head. they were just doing the stuff. I just followed them <laughs> around and wrote down what they said. <laughs> I love and that's that. why I get surprised by the characters. I'm like, she just yeah. did a job. What is she doing? Oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> all right. Oh, take the life of her own. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much for that chat. I mean, I just thought, you know, I pulled out a few things from a sunrise over Bali that I thought were really important and resonated with me because I know it's such a hugely popular genre and I just wanted to sort of explore and examine that and really honour that. I mean, 40% of book sales, I mean, that's incredible. So thank you yeah. for sharing yeah. many things with me. I think we covered a lot of ground in half an hour, we so did. I really appreciate we your did. thoughts. Thank you. No, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say a massive congratulations on my extraordinary mum oh, like I've just you. been watching kind of your <laughs> travels around and uh I mean what a gorgeous book so congratulations on that and thank then, you and so much continued success for that thank you I really appreciate that <laughs>